Now, the thing is, they overlap with the apostles, and that is certainly true. And some of them, like Polycarp, Ignatius, and Papias, may have known uh, the apostle John, uh, and and certainly they knew the uh, the disciples of the apostles. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. James Dolzell. James, how are you today? Jonathan, I'm very well, especially in light of our guest. And I'm just going to put a personal word in before we begin, uh, mm-hmm. which is this. Uh, our guest today was, um, is and was many things to me, not least among uh, which is my college mentor, uh, and the man who married me and my wife, those are just a couple of highlights among many, too many to recount. So I'm thrilled uh, for the guests that we have on today. Yes, our hey, guest. Thank you very much, James. I appreciate that. I, I, I promise not to tell any crazy story. <laughs> thank well, no, you. That's why, that's why we had you on, actually. Uh, forget the book. <laughs> no, we're, we're, where you really are, it is a delight to, to welcome Dr. Will Varner, who's professor of biblical studies in Greek at the Master's University in California. And are, in addition to getting um, good stories about a younger version of James Dalzell, we actually had him on to discuss a new translation he's done of the Apostolic Fathers. In fact, it's published by TNT Clark, and it's called just that, The Apostolic Fathers, An Introduction and Translation. So, Dr. Varner, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's so good to be here and good to renew contact with you both. Now, I want to begin by just setting some parameters here. This this is familiar territory to some of our listeners, but I think for a lot of our listeners, this might be a little bit unfamiliar what do we mean when we talk about the apostolic fathers? This is a, you, you, you know, it's not every, it's not everyone who lived and wrote after the time of the apostles. So, so who are we talking about? What works are we talking about when we talk about the apostolic fathers? Yeah, it's, it's a title that really is not a good title because it gives the impressions that either they were apostles or that they all knew the apostles or lived with the same time of the apostles. Uh, these writers were referred to in the early church, Ignatius and Polycarp, but they were not called apostolic fathers. The, the uh, title got stuck on them in about the 17th century, uh, when the first printed edition, uh, of the, uh, of, of this group of writers was issued. And somebody called them the apostolic fathers and the name has stuck ever since. Now, the thing is, they overlap with the apostles, and that is certainly true. And some of them, like Polycarp, Ignatius, and Papias, may have known uh, the apostle John, uh, and and certainly they knew the uh, the disciples of the apostles. So some of them are one generation away from the apostles, but uh, most of them are about two generations away from the apostles. So, so that really is, uh, they're, they're sort of overlapping. Uh, some of them were born, uh, before the last apostles died. So that's why they're called that. It, it's not the most exact title. But we're stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, but they they are the clo- the first Christian writings after the New Testament. That is for sure. So we're getting way back now. This, these this corpus of of writings has been translated before. And so if you type in Apostle Fathers, you'll find a number of translations, including your own. 
and and I'm sure there are all kinds of technical reasons for for uh, an updated translation. But but maybe in broad strokes, what what were you trying to do in this translation that maybe hasn't come through as effectively in some of the other translations that are available? Yes, uh, two standard translations that uh, Christians use for the Apostolic Fathers are uh, the ones by uh, Holmes, Michael Holmes, and, and also right. Bart Ehrman. And, and they're good translations. But just as there is more than one or two translations of the New Testament, there can be more than one or two translations of the Apostolic Fathers. And so uh, I, uh, I examined uh, the Greek and Latin. There's a few sections of, of two Apostolic Fathers that survive only in Latin. So I, uh, I reviewed all of the Greek and Latin and did a fresh translation. Uh, I, I, I aimed for consistency uh, across the board, translating uh, one word the same way. And, and I also, uh, the word bishop, uh, the word bishop, episkopos, uh, you know, it has some baggage with it because later it came to be uh, viewed as the monarchical bishop, uh, the bishop over all the pastors or elders or presbyters in a certain city, uh, a monarchical bishop. But uh, in the New Testament and in the Apostolic Fathers, that does not uh, appear. So rather than deal with um, the later baggage, uh, when people read that word bishop, I translated it overseer. And, and that's the way it, it is translated in the Greek literature prior to the New Testament as an overseer. And that's what these episcopoi were. They were overseers of a congregation. So uh, I, I tried to uh, do that. Uh, and uh, most of the other translations will stick with bishop. But I, I wanted to make a contribution uh, in that regard, uh, you know, and also uh, uh, not because I'm Baptist, that isn't the real issue. Uh, uh, when the word baptizo came about, I didn't translate it by the transliteration baptize, which really doesn't tell you what it is. I translated immerse. And again, not because I'm a Baptist, but because in the ancient world, that's what baptizo mean, cause to uh, immerse. So uh, I, I, I did that uh, when, when Didache says uh, uh, immerse them uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy uh, Spirit, baptizo, I translated it as immerse. So mm -hmm. I tried to uh, say, what does this word mean to the original readers of the apostolic fathers? Doesn't mean a monarchical bishop. It means an overseer. It doesn't mean baptize. It means cause to dip. So uh, I made some co uh, some uh, contributions to the translations of the Apostolic Fathers in that regard. That, ju that jumped out at me. I did read your translation of Didache 7, uh, and uh, to see it in the words immerse, uh, maybe I'll have to change my lecture notes and, and drop your, your translation in instead. Yeah, well, if you don't mind me making a little argument there, I do think it means immerse because Didache is not a Baptist. He's not because he says, now, if you don't have enough water, you then can effuse on the head. So, so yes. if, if he says that if you don't have enough water pour on the head, then that must have meant what he said uh, earlier as baptized, meaning uh, immerse. Again, you know, I'm not trying to argue from a modern Baptist perspective. I'm trying to say, what did that word mean to the original readers? 
than that you could immerse someone with a with a pouring or dumping on them uh, in a way. How interesting. Can I can I back up a little bit Um, in the introduction to the volume? You mentioned your own tradition, uh, an evangelical tradition that pays uh, generally little attention to the apostolic fathers, Uh, maybe to church history generally. Or if we do, as you mentioned, we we start up with Calvin or Luther. uh, And here uh, you are, you know, a Protestant theologian and scholar who's working on the apostolic fathers, why should evangelicals, non-Eastern Orthodox or non-Roman Catholics uh, care about the apostolic fathers? What do they, what do they do for us now? And I, and I want to inflect that in two ways in terms of our understanding of the new Testament. And then also in terms of our understanding of maybe Christian history subsequently. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I was, I was saved and, and educated in a tradition that uh, did not really pay much attention to the apostolic fathers. Um, uh, church history began at 96 AD <laughs> and, 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 and it was over, you know, for the uh, new Testament. Uh, well, I understand what they mean by that. Of course, uh, that was the last writer of the new Testament, but uh, one of the things, uh, James, that, that struck me as I studied more in England and in, and in the continent is that New Testament uh, scholars in England and the continent always were familiar with the apostolic fathers. Uh, it, it, it just is that way. Uh, not because they believe they were canonical. It's just part of being a New Testament scholar. And, and I began to see that and I began to say, hey, this is something that was left out of my education. Uh, I remember uh, as I was writing this uh, commentary on the Apostolic Fathers, a distant colleague, not one who is on the immediate faculty with me, said, why would you write a commentary on a non-canonical book? And I felt like saying, why would you write about Martin Luther? Why would you write about John Calvin? That's a legitimate subject. Right. <laughs> They're not canonical. So I, I was emerging from a, a mindset that still is among many evangelicals uh, is that there's the New Testament and then there's church history and never the uh, 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 two will meet. But these people you know, while they're not infallible, nobody's trying to make the, I'm not trying to make the apostolic fathers canonical, of course not. But, but what did they understand John to teach? What did they understand Jesus to teach? Uh, they were only separated by one generation or at the most two. Didn't make them infallible, but uh, maybe we should listen to people who who were writing in the shadow of the New Testament to see if they understand it the same way we do today. And that's what really struck me. Uh, and the more I got into it, I wrote a commentary on the Didache. I was invited to write on Second Clement. Uh, and, and more recently, someone invited me to do a, a, a chapter as a matter of fact, it's Paul Foster at University of Edinburgh. Uh, I invited me to do a chapter on Papias. Well, I was hooked. And I said, I, I really would like to contribute something larger. And hopefully it can broaden our perspective uh, as evangelicals uh, uh, to see, well, uh, have we understood the New Testament writers correctly? Uh, uh, perhaps those who heard them. Did they understand them differently? And that it helps us to examine our own thoughts uh, and see if we understand the New Testament correctly as well. Dr. Warner, I wonder if I could follow up on that and just ask, um, 
So, so that's the rationale for studying them. What, what have been some of, as you analyze your own development of thought, what have been some of the ways in which they have shaped or sharpened your view of the Christian faith or your even understanding of the scriptures? In other words, if, if, if someone's coming to the apostolic fathers for the first time, who is a Christian and who is studying the scriptures, seeking to learn, what, what could you say to them in terms of your own, what you've learned? Uh, from from reading these these ancient Christian witnesses? Well, whatever be our church tradition, we have ordinances or sacraments, whatever you're going to call them. And here's the Didache writing in the first century. And, this, and the Didachist is talking about the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, and he's talking about baptism. And I'm saying, whoa, well, uh, you know, uh, do we understand it the same way that they did? Uh, again, I'm, I'm trying to tease that I'm not a Baptist because uh, the Baptists don't like Didache 7 and the Presbyterians don't like it either mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, uh, Didache looks like it gives priority to immersion. But then it says, OK, if you don't have enough water, you can pour. Uh, and uh, so but yet the Presbyterians say, oh, no, 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 I don't know about that. Let's just go with the pouring. So maybe we need to be educated uh uh, that uh, in the late first century, it didn't rise or fall on the mode of the baptism, but it did rise or fall. It looks like that they were believers uh, that that were uh, baptized. Uh, with all due respect to my Presbyterian brothers, and I have many of them, and I love them, uh, nothing is mentioned about pedo-baptism uh, in Didache 7. Now, does that mean it didn't exist? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when they talked about it, they talked about uh, believers uh, baptism okay and uh, so that's uh, one of the thing but also it gives us a little more charity uh, with with my Baptist brethren who say that you cannot do it any other way but immersion uh, at least the Didache says we need to be open uh, as to the mode and I know that's a curse word uh, for some of my Baptist brethren, but it it helped me to be a little more balanced. If you don't mind me getting into another area, and I know that not all of my uh, friends will agree with me here, but it looks like Papias uh, and some of the other ones were Kiliasts, uh, were millennialists. Uh, 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 now, not all of them mention it, but uh, but uh, Papias does. He survives in fragments, uh, and Polycarp uh, and Ignatius do. So, uh, for what it's worth, uh, uh, they lived within a, a generation uh, uh, of John. And they were Kiliast, and that word Kiliat comes, Kilias comes from the uh, Greek word Kilia, which means thousand. So it looks like they were uh, futurists uh, in their uh, theology. Does that mean that they were inspired? Of course not. Uh, but we need to at least uh, deal with that. Could they have been wrong in understanding it that way? Yes, they could have. But we need to listen to that and say, well, why were they Kiliasts? Uh, why were they, as we call it today, premillennialists? So I'm um, getting into two controversial areas. I realize that, uh, and uh, not, the the uh, the the apostolic fathers were not always controversial like that. Sometimes uh, it, it's just let's listen to them. How did they understand Jesus? And how did they understand the Christian life? And how did they understand the canon? That probably uh, is an uh, uh, 
questions that appeal to a, a broader readership than just Baptist or Presbyterians. Well, and, and could you talk about that a little bit? So um, the, what, how, how did they understand Jesus and the canon and what do we learn that, that would we we'd all agree on or not all but but that we'd you know for the most part find wider consensus on among evangelical protestants uh reg- that that was a perspective that they shared their view of jesus was a high one uh if if they if if there's such a thing as a high christology the apostolic fathers had a high christology uh they would be shocked to hear uh, that uh, uh, the deity of Jesus was something that was supposedly invented by the Council of Nicaea. Uh, yeah, they had a very high Christology. They did not use the word Trinity. Uh, that word Trinitas comes from the Latin, comes from Tertullian. He was the first one to use uh, the word Trinity, but the concept of Jesus being fully divine and the spirit being divine was there in the apostolic fathers. It, it, it doesn't jump out and grab you in some of them, like the shepherd of Hermas says very little about the spirit, but, but Jesus has an exalted uh, role. Uh, there's not speculation about the relationship of the humanity to the deity. Later theologians wrestled with that, but they did believe that Jesus was fully divine. And that causes a real problem for the uh, the uh, cults who say that the Trinity was invented, uh, you know, many hundreds of years later. The word Trinity may have been invented, but the uh, high Christology of Jesus being viewed uh, on the as the same uh, substance with the Father uh, and the Spirit as well is there in the Apostolic Fathers, and uh, that is something I think that a fair reading of them will become very clear. It always struck me in Didot K7 that there's there's all this elbow room um, immerse, but then if you want to immerse by pouring, uh, you know, it's a, the, 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 there's a little bit of latitude in terms of the mode, and and also whether the water is cold or hot. Oh, yeah. All time favorite is immersion in warm standing water, which I think is like the fourth best way to be baptized according to Didot K7. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said uh, you know we uh, we who are Baptists and want to immerse, we like those warm pools in our church. They did not. Uh, favor- they were saying go out to a cold flowing river (laughs) and baptize them there but then it strikes me at the beginning and end of the section he says baptize them in the triune name father Mm -hmm. son holy spirit and it it just seems like in a in a passage with probably more elbow room than maybe modern evangelicals would be comfortable with in terms of mode there's no wiggle room in terms of in in what name or into what Absolutely. you are baptized? Absolutely, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Immerse it, in it, the name a, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or pour three times on the head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is very very clear. Uh, other uh, Ignatius also is very very strong on the deity of Jesus. So uh, that's some of the very uh, important. Uh, things uh, doctrinally uh, uh, about the apostolic fathers, which uh, we as uh, believing evangelicals need to flock to and and say, uh, yes, amen to that. Dr. Varner, we, uh, I wish we could go uh, book by book through this, but we, we're out of time. Uh, we really appreciate your 
your work in translating these and also your time with us today and just your labors over, over many years, which we have, both of us have benefited from James in a, in a much more personal way, but, um, but we thank you for that. And we thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, James. And may the Lord be with you and, and, uh, and bless you and make his face to shine upon you. And with you. <laughs>